Now, we just came back from nationals. I just got to run through a couple of things that we had um, the last three months. One thing that reminded me about why we do this and the effort that we put into it uh, comes from the book of Psalms. And I've said this before. I've quoted these four verses before. But then sometimes just God just gives you a different light about a verse. Psalms 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night. So I took that day and night, and what he showed me out of that verse, it matters where you spend your time in. He really cares where you're sitting, where you're walking, who your friends are. What are you doing? So that verse really drew out of me while I sit down and I just have talks with quizzers. And I just see the value of their time that is not going wasted. Trophies don't make the quizzer, but the time they've invested themselves in the word of God makes the quizzer. And the same. Now, today we'll present some, some good things. Um, we're going to draw back because I said I was going to mention it. I totally freaked out last time because it's not comfortable standing up here. But <laughs> there was uh, a points per game that we had in Tennessee that made it very special because they did such a phenomenal job. And I want to recognize them because... Their time uh, is worthy of being recognized. The um, first overall points per, points per game in the Tennessee uh, extravaganza, I'm just going to name these guys out. It would be Junior Brumfield was first place. Second highest score was Nathaniel, Nathaniel Sacopo. And third highest score points per game was Kylia Knudsen. Now, in regards to finals, we have a regional final and Again, seasons are hard. They take a toll. And I still want to recognize this young lady because she was still pushing forward all the way towards the end. And they did such a phenomenal job with a first-year quiz team, which I also want to recognize would be Cornerstone North. They had three new quizzers, two of them that just started coming to church in October, and a bus kid that none of his parents go to church. But they took their time... It's a very special thing to just have people just get on board, go for it, and don't look back. Now, this team, <laughs> you can see the momentum coming. And I actually was like, come on, you guys can beat us. Well, they actually did. So, uh, 
but they did have one to recognize. And the young lady that's, that is in our church is Lala Brumfield. They took second place in regional finals. There's Lala. She's not here. Okay. All right. I still didn't want to recognize her, though, for her, her uh, work. In the big, in finals, in the beginner division, uh, we had two teams. And our second place team, captained by Carter Kilroy, Jada Miller. I'm sorry, Car Carter, Layla, and a gal from Oregon. She came because she had no team. But she joined our team, and they took second place on finals. And the finals first place team was Cornerstone in Liberty Lake with Carlitos, Maddie, and Jada Miller. Now, in finals, we had the highest from, there's five high scores. I'll go through them. Fifth place was Carter Kilroy. Third highest scorer was Jada Miller. Second highest score was Carlito Chavez. And the highest score points per game was Maddie Knudsen. Now, for the quizzers of the year, there's two special kids that had just quizzed good, where they were consistent, they were good teammates, um, great competitors in their own might. Uh, for runner-up quizzer of the year, Maddie Knudsen. And the quizzer of the year for the beginner division in the regional finals was Carlitos Chavez. So I've kind of been doing this for a little bit. Um, and I saw the potential of how special these kids really are. Um, we've been through a lot. We've been to nationals. We've seen it. And from the beginning of the year, I literally said, these are a national no level team. Um, it was a hard, hard quiz, full of exciting timeouts, contests that weren't supposed to be contested. There was a lot of comebacks. There was a lot of, just a lot of excitement that you want to see. Well, you don't want to see, but we had to go through. But I want to present to you the national champions in the beginner division, Liberty Lake, Washington.
as anyone's counting, that's two national championships in a row. So, and uh, it wouldn't far-fetched to say there will be three, but that takes a lot of work, a lot of dedication, but, but we have it. Um, they also placed in national, so the five highest scores points per game. Uh, the all-tournament team, fifth place, Carlitos Chavez. And second highest scorer in nationals was Maddie Knutson. And I also want to recognize her, their teammates because not one or two can do this alone. It takes support, it takes friendship, it takes um, trust. And that's something that these kids work on. It's not just the buzzer speed. It's not just the verses. It's an all-around just growing as a young person. And there's such growth from Jada and Layla. <laughs> all right. And then um, the next division up, I want to recognize the senior division for the last couple of quizzes. Um, this is a very hard division to kind of, to kind of be the top. Oh, you guys can stand up here. Hey, hey. Yep. Yeah, don't buzz in on rebates. That's it right there. <laughs> They're gone. Yep, I'm out of time out. They're gone. Um, again, this division is a very hard division. Uh, there's so many bright kids, and there's such there's such a busy schedule for all of them. I mean, these kids are pretty much doctors in their own, you know, going to college and Gonzaga, and you're, you're competing against guys that are going to Duke University. I mean, it's real stuff. It's not like they're playing Xbox all day. I mean, these kids are phenomenal. They're they're bright. Um, and in regional finals, we brought two teams, and uh, it was a it's a good it's a good again hardy quiz, and we um, pressed our our limits here, but we did a great job. They still did a phenomenal job. Second place, captained by Junior Brumfield, and Kailia took second place. And then first place with Nathaniel Sakpopo, Tikva Knudsen, and Andres Aguilera. Now this also comes with, with highest scores. You know, fifth place was Tikva Knudsen. Fourth was Kailia Knudsen. Third was Andres Aguilera. 
Junior was second, Bumfield. And the highest points per game was Nathaniel Sekpoko. Now it also comes with Quizzer of the Year and Runner-Up Quizzer of the Year. And for the Runner-Up Quizzer of the Year was Junior Brownfield. Quizzer of the year was Nathaniel Sakpopo. Now, last but not least, we have the national tournament. And uh, and yeah, it was a great time. It was a, a phenomenal experience. It was... Um, a lot of late nights <laughs> and uh, a lot of good talks. And I really take that just more than the trophy is the quality time that you spend with these young people. But um, I will present the undefeated 2019 Senior Experience National Champions, Liberty Lake, Washington. <laughs> actually a kind of weird but cool feeling uh, at nationals you had a lot of people rooting for us like a lot like most of the room <laughs> <laughs> they would go up to the quizzers and they'd be like the whole senior southern district is behind you guys and like you know you got when you earn respect you earn respect and so it was a really 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 great experience to have that also for the beginners it was the same experience when you have people that aren't in your church supporting you. It was really fun. Um, it felt really good uh, to finally just come and, and represent what we truly are made of. And I want to recognize Okay. I want to present pretty much our last award, uh, two last awards. The highest score runner-up uh, of the whole entire nation, and I mean, when I say when I say this, I want to clarify something. There's points that you make that are not rereads. Reread points kind of kind of are just up in the air for your team just to pick up when they make a mistake. This young man scored all his points in a live tournament. They weren't rereads. They weren't after it's locked. They weren't after like it's locked and the quiz is over and there's still three more questions. I mean, this young man earned all his points, earned every single one, and that was Nathaniel Sakpopo. <laughs> and 
And for this hard work, for his dedication, his effort, for all the time spent and his skill and in his dedication to the Word of God, he won Quizzer of the Year. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sister Erica, are you here? I'd like you to come up. Even if you've got a kid on each arm, I want you to come. Not just the pastor is proud, but this entire congregation is proud of every one of these quizzers. Come right over here. Right over here, right where you, you can stand right alongside Sister Erica. This is not a this is not a one man effort. This entire family has poured their blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> Brother Carlos, after doing this for almost for seven years. Okay, seven years. Just about somewhere in the season, every single year, I've seen a couple rough spots where the coach is being challenged. You have not only been vindicated, you are a champion of champions. You kept to your high standards. You kept in, you kept on doing what you knew was right. And because you guys have poured your blood, sweat, and tears, we are sending you guys to Hawaii next spring. All expenses paid. Is your mother here today? Sister Corrine, you're going to have these three beautiful children and maybe a fourth while they enjoy the golden sands of Maui. Let's give it up one more time to this precious man and his family. Oh, somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't we all lift up our hands? Let's welcome the presence of the Lord here today. Hallelujah. We're just getting started here at Cornerstone. Let's worship with the praise singers today.
church. Somebody testify if he's been good. He's a never-changing God. Jesus, we worship you, yeah.
praise him? Oh, come on. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of all the honor. Think about where he's brought you from. Think about where you're at today. Hallelujah. Come on. Clap your hands, all your people. Shout with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, he is worthy of all the praise. How many are thankful to know Jesus today? Hallelujah. He brought you salvation. Hallelujah. It is good to be in the house of the Lord on a beautiful Sunday morning. Liberty Lake, Washington at Cornerstone. How many are glad to be here today? I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Amen. But we welcome each and every one of you, especially our guests. If it's your first or second time here at Cornerstone, we welcome you. Let's give our guests a warm welcome here today. Hallelujah. Amen. We got a lot going on today, and we're just getting started, but we do just want to take a moment and greet one another. So just for a few moments, slip out in the aisle and shake someone's hand and greet them.
Hallelujah. He's worthy of our praise today. Glory to God. You may be seated just for a few moments. Once again, we're so glad to have each and every one of you today. And on behalf of our pastor and first lady, brother and sister Mayo, we welcome all you first-time guests. We are so glad. Give them a, a hand clap today. Amen. Praise the Lord. And since you are a first-time guest, we want you to stick around after the service, after the preaching and the altar call, and God is finished with what's going on in here. We want you to meet us back at our coffee shop. We have a coffee shop that will be running, and, man, we got some of the best coffee in, in not just Spokane and Liberty Lake. we got some of the best coffee in the state of Washington, don't we? <laughs> Under the direction of... Brother Dale and Sister Devon Sargent right over there. Let's give them a hand. Appreciate them. Amen. But if you're a first-time guest, you, you should have received a guest card. On one side, it has some information for you to fill out. And on the back, it has a, has a picture of a cup of coffee. Fill that out after service. Meet us at the coffee shop. Turn it into the coffee shop, and they know what to do with it. They'll give you a free drink of your choice. If you don't like coffee, they'll give you tea, chai tea. If you... If you want an Italian soda, we got so we'll make it happen. But meet us over there. We'd like to get to know you better and just have a good time of fellowship. Amen, Cornerstone? Amen. Amen. I'd like our ushers to come. And while they're coming, let's all stand. We're going to receive an offering here today. But just want to get out a, a few announcements. I want to remind you that the church is open Monday through Saturday. Or Monday, yeah, Monday through Saturday from 530 to 9 o'clock for prayer. Also, Tuesday will be our service. Please come uh, before service for 7 o'clock prayer and 7.30 for our midweek service. And also, we will be back here as a church family at 7 o'clock on Wednesday for a season of prayer. Amen. How many believe that, that prayer gets things done? Amen. God's people are a praying people. Amen. When the church ceases to pray, that is when God leaves the premises and nothing happens. But man, when, when, when the people of God pray, you can rest assured and trust in God that, that things are going to get done, miracles are going to happen, signs and wonders, all that happens with the praying people. So let's pray, let's keep in a spirit of prayer, and let's, let's take advantage of these times. Let's bow our heads as we receive this offering today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your provision. We ask that you would have your way in the rest of the service. Lord, speak to us today, God, but also bless this offering as we worship you today, God. We thank you for your provision. The church say amen. All right, let's worship the Lord and sing as we give.
Oh, let's give him great praise and glory. Come on, a great God is worthy of great praise. If God has just done a little bit for you, just give, go ahead and just go ahead and give him a little bit of praise. But if God has been great, oh, magnify the Lord with me. God, what an incredible liberty is in this house. My, 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 my. Ladies and gentlemen, there might be total chaos and confusion outside of these four walls, but when you step into the house of the Lord, there is power, there is peace, there is glory. Hallelujah. 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 While you remain standing, amen. I'm asking the ushers to come one more time. And uh, it, is, it is great to have brother and sister Tim Haddon here all the way from Portland. Yes. Yes. And uh, Cornerstone is a huge believer and supporter of home missions churches. And brother and sister Haddon, Went to Portland just several years ago. Uh, they're moving into a new building. We're excited for them. My wife and I had the opportunity. Yes. Yes. My wife and I had the opportunity to be with them just a short while ago and see the building that they, uh, at that time, they were attempting to get it. God has opened the door. Uh, they are going to be moving into that building. But we want to bless them above and beyond everything. We're the believe, we are a big believer in moving the kingdom of God in the Northwest. Devil, you might have had the Northwest, but it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's pray. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, we pray that you'll bless the giver. Take this, multiply it, pour it into the intended need to thrust this gospel right into the face of Portland in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you as you give. Speak the name. 
touch just lift your hand make your request known we right now to God you. he is in this house Hallelujah. precious Jesus precious Jesus precious Jesus precious Jesus precious Jesus Come on, we make time around here for a move of the Holy Ghost. Lift your hands right now and let your request be known to God. I don't. You say it's too far-fetched, it's too magnificent, it's too unbelievable. No, make your request known unto God. Call the name of Jesus. He is Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The name of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. He is Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. One more time all over this sanctuary. Let's lift our hands and love him. My. What a glory. What a glory is in this house. Victory's here. Just before we introduce our speaker, I want to say it's great to have 
evangelist Poindexter and his lovely family with us here in service today. Love this family very much. And I also want to say I want to congratulate Brother Jesse Gamboa, the pastor of Cornerstone North, is celebrating his third, third anniversary. Hey, hey, hey. In fact, I realize this is already so unorthodox, but that's just the way it is around here. Brother Jesse, I'd like you to come here for one second. Please remain standing. Come for one second, Brother Jesse. Love this man. Brother Jesse uh, Gamboa, of course, everybody knows Brother Jesse and loves him. He basically was raised up through the ranks in this church, came from absolute obscurity, and now he's a great leader of revival, not just in Spokane, but on the entire Northwest. We love him. We're proud of him. We want him to just greet you in Jesus' name. Well, I don't want to get in anybody's way, but somebody say, thank you, Jesus. As a church planner, I can just tell you this, when you're on the pew, which I was 10 years on the pew, just sitting there listening to a pastor preach and teach and tell me what I ought to do, and I thought I knew better. Take this from personal experience. We don't know anything. I just had the privilege of having Pastor and Sister Mel preach for us, and we honored their 25th anniversary at our church. And to me, this may not seem like a big deal, but when I step back and take away my ego and my plan and what I think I should be in God's kingdom, and I recognize that God sent a man into the Northwest, planted and established a world-changing church, and extended a branch out to the north side that was not there. And then today, for the first time, and I don't know when, there's two great speakers in Spokane going to preach to the masses. You're a part of something bigger. You're a part of something greater. Don't think it's over. Don't think this is where it stops. It only gets better. Hold on. Throw your money in it, throw your prayers in it, throw your fasting in it, get involved in it, and let's have revival in the Northwest in Jesus' name. You guys have one more song? No? Can you sing the last one over? All right. Um, is there any more offering buckets back there? Okay, grab the offering buckets. We're going to take another offering. Third time's the charm. What's this was for, Pastor? This is for Cornerstone North. Yeah! Now, three years is a big deal because the, the attrition rate... In the Northwest is almost 70%. That means seven out of ten churches close their doors. This one here, and there's others. There's others. 
We ain't closing our doors. By the grace of God. Okay. We're going to sing another song and we're going to have an opportunity to give. Somebody shout. God loves a cheerful giver. Let's get cheerful. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to extend ourselves and to pour it into the work of God that others may hear and receive and be a part of your great kingdom in the earth that is expanding exponentially throughout the Northwest. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you as you give. Let's sing another song. Somebody shout. My Lord, there's so much Holy Ghost in this house. Cancer is going to be gone. Infirmity's got to be gone. Every lying devil's going to be put to flight. Woo! Hallelujah. 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 As I've already mentioned, it is great to have Brother and Sister Haddon here, their family. But more importantly, they are people of God. They're doing a great job in Portland, Oregon. Brother Tim Haddon uh, has been a major contributor uh, in our SOTAD project. And uh, 
love and appreciate him so very much. You're in for a treat. One more time, put your hands together under the Lord for the man of God. Come on, let's love him all over this place. Come on, lift up your hands and give him praise. Come on, just for a little bit longer today, let's honor him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. As you're turning to Genesis chapter number 1, let me say how good it is to be in Spokane. Every plane has to have a runway to land on. Planes are incredible things. They defy gravity. The Northwest has men that are defying the spirit of the Northwest. Between Brother Gamboa, all the others that are planting churches across this fruitful plain. Y'all didn't hear me. Across the fruitful plain. Too many people say it's burnt over. Well, I'll preach by myself then. Look, I'm already feeling at liberty today, so y'all are in trouble. When you fly over long, desolate places, an airplane has to refuel. What I have always seen Spokane as being, Spokane has provided a runway for people that are willing to mount up, fly over desert places and go where nobody else has gone before. But at least there's a place to land. And they don't give you the watered-down fuel. Well, maybe some of you do. I don't know. That was an opportunity for Spokane to come alive. I said, they don't give you watered-down fuel in Spokane. It's the real deal. Somebody ought to shout unto the Lord. Come on, Spokane, you ought to come alive. Praise God. And so I'm just an airplane that's landing on a big old Air Force base. And you'll just let me put a little gas back in my reservoir. Preaching to you is going to refuel me. If you preach with me. We're Pentecostals around here. Hope you haven't forgotten that. Amen. Love you, Pastor. They are family, but more than that, they are a spiritual beacon. And uh, we look up to them greatly, love them. Every opportunity we have to get here, we love to. Also good to have my beautiful bride. She's the most famous one out of all of my family. Amen. Just admit it. Y'all don't have me here for me. Y'all have me here for her. Of course, we're missing two boys there in Alabama, uh, so we have little Christian over there, and he's missing his brothers. Amen. How many of you ready for the word of the Lord? Now, I'm going to preface this before we move forward, because I understand some of you don't know me, and I don't know you, 
the typical way that we do this is we kind of wait and check each other out. What's he going to do? What's he going to be like? Is he going to have the preacher voice that we like? You judge the preacher before he can even get started. Well, if you don't want me to judge the pew, don't judge the pulpit. What we're going to do today doesn't come from me. It comes from this. Amen. Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 1. I wonder what God could do for the next 45 minutes or so if we would give God an opportunity. What would happen if we carved out all distractions. I was almost tempted everywhere I go now. Will you please turn your phones off? Well, we're not tethered to all the problems. God, 45 minutes or so, I need to hear from you. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And all of this brings us through the process of function occurring. Everything God designs has an intended purpose. So if you're living and breathing, there's no coincidence, there's no accident. You've got a purpose. And He moves through the function. Genesis 2, verse number 5. All of the function, all of creation has to have a person. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. But the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. For just a little bit, I'm going to do what I like to do best. I'm going to take a journey through the Word of the Lord, and I'm going to let the Word of God talk to us. So I want to talk to you for the sake of a title on Perspectives of Dominion. Perspectives. What does the Bible have to say about dominion? One more time, let's lift our hands. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on. Why don't somebody wrap your Bible into a little hug and just say, God, 
talk to me through the word today. Woo. Come on, just for a moment, I feel the move of the Holy Ghost. He wants to set the stage. Come on, I'm not moving right yet. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. He wants to set the stage. Come on, I mean it. Somebody, somebody clutch that word. Say, come on, Lord, use it to talk to me. I need dominion in my family. I need it in my job. I need it in this world. Come on, I need to be the head and not the tail. I need to be what God intends for me to be. Come on, God could do something on this Sunday that would forever blow your mind and change your life. Come on, but is there a hunger enough that will say, God, talk to me for just a little bit. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. I love to teach Bible studies. If you don't like to teach Bible studies or don't know how, I would recommend that you quickly find out how to engage in a Bible study. I'm a firm believer that Bible studies still work. I'm still a firm believer that Bible studies trump programs. Bible studies still trump personalities. Is there anybody here that teaches Bible studies that would agree with me? Bible studies still work. In fact, I would submit that you don't just need a Bible study when you don't know the truth, when you get the truth, but when you continue in the truth, I think you still ought to find yourself in a Bible study. Because you can never plumb the depth of this word. You can never say one day I've got it all figured out. You know what? I've got Acts 2.38 under my belt. And you're never going to be to the place where you can put it all together and say, I don't have anything more to learn. I think Bible studies are so powerful. I think that they help challenge us and encourage us. But more than that. If you've ever wanted revelation in your life when you read the Word of God, teach somebody else a Bible study. You'll find that God flows through that moment of time. and He'll talk to you sometimes more through the teaching of the Bible than sometimes you may ever get just reading the Bible by yourself. There's a correlation between revelation and connecting people to the truth. And so I love to teach Bible studies. One of the things that I do when I teach a Bible study, and it's very unique to me and I know that, is I like to take people to the beginning. I'm really big on plumbing the depths of people's lives. I feel sometimes that we run the risk of of making people know less than they actually do. And I think that a good appreciation of people would help us to understand that people are really smarter than they appear sometimes. 
So one of the things that I do when I start a Bible study is I will sit across the table from the person that I'm teaching. And I'm a storyteller. I love to tell stories. I love words. And I will tell them today we are about to embark on the greatest journey you've ever taken. We're going to climb in a boat together. and We together, we are going to push off from the shores and the shallow places of commonality. And we are going out to the deep, deep places. I'll tell them with leaning forward in the chair, I'll have a look on my face that is really playing into what I'm saying because I really do believe that's what we're doing. I will tell them, you're not going to understand everything that you hear when you hear it. And what I like to do is I don't fish with bait because I don't need bait because the truth speaks for itself. I don't need a clever man from the third century to prop up a bunch of quotations to prove to you how I feel or what I believe or what I do. I've got a Bible, and that's good enough for me. So I tell them, here's how I do it. I throw a hook into the deep. Somewhere in your life, I promise you, it may drag for a while, but God's going to hook you. When God hooks you, if you've ever been hooked by truth, it's a snag you can't get out of your spirit. Come on, it just kind of sets itself and pulls you into, whoo, into its grasp. Maybe the problem with some of us long-term apostolics is we ain't been hooked for a long time. I tell you, every time we hear the Word of God, there ought to be a hook that drags the depth of your life and somewhere along the way, it grabs you, pulls you out of your chair, says, I can't sit on truth. I can't sit on Acts 2.38. I can't sit on Revelation. I can't sit on salvation. Hooked. I tell them it's going to happen. And oh, what a great moment when it does. Woo! You just kind of see something in them just jerk. <laughs> and you stop and you look at them. This is just how I do it. And I say, you felt that, didn't you? And they say, I don't know what it was, but man, that was incredible. And I'll say, that's just the beginning, baby. <laughs> because the next hook's going to pull you a little harder. You see, sometimes you just got to troll the deep of people's lives and get past the surface level and stop thinking because they don't look like they're interested that they're not really interested. <laughs> 
but you keep on dragging the bottom. I've watched it, Brother Poindexter, too many times where they look at me and they've got so many things on the surface that look like they would never respond to truth. But when that hook hit, big old burly men that ever cried a tear start crying. Big old people that never made a move in their life say, whoa, what am I feeling at this moment? I tell them, we don't fish with bait. We just fish with the truth. I don't need a colorful lure. I don't need a speckled flim-flammer. I'm not a fisherman, so I don't know all the lingo. But I don't need all that extra flash. I don't need little things that mirror the real. I said I don't need to go to a lure shop and borrow from the world something that looks like the real thing. I'm really upset and disturbed by how many people feel like they got to forsake this stuff to be a little more appealing. Baby, when I got in Portland, it was going to be with a hook and nothing fake and nothing false and no imitation stuff where I am. That's how the devil fishes. He appears as an angel of light. He wants you to bite on the hook. You know what? It looks like the real thing. It even shines like the real thing. That's fool's gold, baby. Take a bite on it. You'll quickly find out it don't stand the test of pressure. I don't have to borrow the world. What we have here is good enough. I wish somebody would shout, it's good enough. Come on, those of you that have been hearing every other doctrine, I want you to shout, it's good enough. Come on, Spokane, I think we ought to make a rousing declaration on this Sunday afternoon. This truth is good enough for me. See, I'm preaching to apostolics. And I'm real comfortable, so I hope this don't get long. I've been waiting to preach long for a long time. (laughs) My wife knows I'm not kidding, folks. You better worship. Only two things will make a preacher not preach long. And I won't tell you what they are. So, 
<laughs> Somebody say amen. We're about to have fun, but we're about to give the devil a bad morning. And so I tell them, I could take you a lot of places in the Word of God, but why don't we start in the beginning? And so I tell them, you know, I wish we could get this kind of reverence back in our day. To all of us that have lived for God a long time, I wish, this is what I do, this is what I tell them. I put my Bible on that table in front of them. I put my hand on it and I say, are you ready? I stare at them. Awkward maybe. But I say, are you ready? I say, I'm ready. I say, what we're about to do is unlike anything else this world's ever known. I'm not opening up Shakespeare. I'm not opening up Louis L'Amour. Sorry, folks. I'm not opening up C.S. Lewis. and I'm not opening up some theologian's skewed slants of this Bible. I say what we're about to do is we're about to break the silence. Because you thought you heard a voice until this moment. You thought you knew what truth was until now. Folks, I'm telling you, this book means the world to me. If you never fallen asleep in a little recliner with it clutched to your chest, if you just let me be me right now, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, I'm telling we got to get a fresh revelation. For this book. If you never just sat there and read its words, and out of nowhere tears just start flowing out of your face. You know, this thing right here is incredible. I didn't ask you to amen me. I said this book. And you know what we get an opportunity to do today? We get to open it. So I say, here goes. And I'll crack open the first page and I'll get past the title. Holy Bible. And I'll turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. And I'll say, Stop. In the beginning, God. Drum roll. I wish I had a drummer when I started there. Folks, let me introduce you to what changed your 
Does he no longer send shivers up your body? Does he no longer put goosebumps on your goosebumps? Does he not ever make you feel like falling to your knees any longer? In the beginning, God. And I'll say, stop there. You're about to learn about the greatest thing that's ever existed. I I know we're in Portland. I know we're in the Northwest. uh, But God, I know your marriage is falling apart. I know that addiction is overwhelming you. I know that sickness and perversion is trying to ruin your life. But God, So I tell them in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I tell them, I'm sure glad that my Bible doesn't start with verse number 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I'm glad that before I ever face the deep, before I ever face the empty, before I ever face the void, before I ever face the problem, in the beginning, God. Which tells me before your bill was ever due, God. Before your marriage was ever on the rocks, God. Before your children were ever backsliding, God. I don't care what it is. I don't have the emptiness and the void. I'm introduced to him. And because of him, I can just fly through the nothing. I can fly through the problem. I can fly through the challenge. And then I tell him the two prerequisites that must happen in everybody's life are followed. God Then there's empty and nothing and desolate and ruin. But two things happen. The Spirit of God moved. It's the first thing that we have to happen in life for nothing to become something, for ruin to become something. That is something that must occur. I didn't say be stirred. God moves, and I'm afraid sometimes in Pentecost we get too comfortable with just having a good move of God. But did you leave home different? God doesn't move just to stir you. He moves to prepare you. Oh, help me, Jesus. Samson was stirred. Every time that he needed God for a specific moment, God moved on him, but he didn't stay with him. It's not enough to have a move of the Holy Ghost. I've got to have something that will change me. Which is why the second prerequisite that must happen for change to occur is you've got to have a move of God, and you've got to have the Word of God. 
The Spirit moved, Brother Poindexter, and God said. You see, a lot of us pray ourselves to the point of comfort again. We come to church and we have a good move of the Holy Ghost to where we feel normal again. You know, I want to know sometimes the most devastating thing about an altar is we can pray off what God's trying to do. Let me try this another way. We can be moved by the Spirit of God into an altar, and we don't do nothing but get there until we cry. And when we emotionally feel the tears and the emotions move, we don't go to the point God intended for us to go. Which is why people that wrestle with sexual addictions can come pray off their conviction because they felt good. But you're meant to lock down in an altar until change breaks through in your life. I've seen it happen too many times with young people. We just keep on praying through. We're not really praying through nothing but our hardness. You need to pray until you change. I'll preach anyways. Whatever was wrong with burying our face in an altar and saying if the lights get turned out, I'm not leaving until I get a hold of change. Oh, I used to do it when I was younger. We always went and prayed through. But Monday we were exactly what we were before we prayed through. Because we get confused sometimes with thinking that just because we felt him, we got delivered from what our problem was. So I want to challenge somebody. In your prayer closet, don't just pray until you talk in tongues and weep and cry. But maybe understand that God had brought you to that point to to clear the runway for you to move into intercessory prayer. But let's be honest. I'm just going to talk for a little bit. I'm just going to talk. I'm starting to feel real comfortable, and this is a problem. How many of you have prayed in prayer, didn't get what you wanted, but you felt a good emotional touch? Prayer's over. Thank you, Jesus. Got what I came for. And you walked out after only 20 minutes because you pray to feel, not pray to change. Babe, I don't know if I'm going to get your ass back. (laughs) What if God was merely prepping you? Because now you're in the Spirit. Look, I'm trying to teach this to brand new babies that are coming out of Portland. They, they, They pray within the allotted prayer minutes. 
and they get a good emotional charge. And every now and then I feel that, and I'm going to tell you, you got to learn how to feel that gravity where God starts pulling you. You might have wept and cried and have no more strength left in your body, but maybe God was just getting you spiritual. And then you say, you roll up your sleeves and say, prayer is about to begin. And so I tell them there's two prerequisites you got to have. You got to have a move of the Holy Ghost and you got to have a word from God. I get nervous in our generation when I hear people say, let's worship real, real effort with, with a lot of effort so we can have a short service. I've heard it. Oh, let's turn, let's make a blowout. Let's let hey, let's let's make this thing. You know what? We got things to do and places to go. Honey, I'm gonna tell you, nothing is ever gonna trump the word of God. When you have a tear breaking, gut wrenching move of the Holy Ghost, you ought to find a pew and say, Preacher, we ain't done yet. Preach to me a little longer. All right, we'll get real. What do we do? We have a good tear wrencher, gut gut wrencher, and everybody, everybody, let's just be honest. It's over. God's done. What if God was just trying to pave the way in some of your spirits for the word that the man of God had? And so... God begins to unravel this incredible divine narrative. Firmament, day, night, land, waters. It begins to establish function, purpose. About this time, I tell everybody that I teach, pay attention. Because God's intended design for your life is for purpose. There's a plan. And if you're not fulfilling purpose, you're not really existing. (laughs) And so I bring them through the functionality of the Word of God. God is laying things down. I'm not going to belabor that. But as I continue to navigate through this, I want to make it clear to each and every one of them that in the first chapter of Genesis, God's name is used exactly 35 times. And in each case, it's attached to the subject of a verb. 35 times. Why is this important? Because Genesis 1 is our introduction to our God. And 35 times he is attached to a verb. God is moving. He is saying. He is making. He is creating. He is doing. He is building. He is planting. Why? Because God wants to give us a revelation of his fundamental nature. And that is his art God is always active. 
He doesn't stop. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't slow down. But when you are coming to the end of your road, he is still working. God is always working. And I tell them that that better kind of stir your spirit because there's going to be times where it doesn't seem like God is anywhere to be found. Can I help somebody new in this journey? Some of the hardest walks you'll ever make is in that first formative few years. But go read Genesis 1. When you crack it open, you let the devil know he's working. That's why God's got such a problem with laziness. <laughs> Go read Proverbs. Read about the sluggard. Read about those that are late to roll out of their bed. Sorry, I'm messing with some of you. God can't stand lazy people because it goes against the fundamental quality of what He intended us to reflect. It ain't the will of God to be 40 years old and live in your mama's basement and play video games the rest of your life. There's no dominion in Fortnite. There's no dominion in running up a bill on Clash of Clans addiction and everybody says, I can't afford my car note, but you're playing around all the time. No, you want to make God you want to make God glad. I tell every drug addict that I counsel, the best thing you could do is get two jobs, commit to the house of God, commit to every prayer to where you've got no time left to rub together. When they tell you to slow down, you just say, no, I'm kind of acting like my God. I'm just going to keep on acting. I'm going to stay busy. I'm going to keep on working. Come on, if you've got addictions in your life, can I tell you the best remedy for them outside of a prayer meeting? Stay busy. Sorry, right, I'll go preach to the to the to the peripheral right now. You got addictions going on. You've got too much time, is what you've got. Pastor, I don't know what to do. I don't have. I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm addicted. I'm struggling. How about you just get all that extra time you've got for temptation to work? Bible says don't give a space, an opportunity to the devil. In other words, let me put it this way. Fill your day with hard work, lots of prayer, submission to the man in the house of God, and that temptation doesn't have a ground to grow in. What time y'all normally done? I get to go back to Portland to fight my battle, so. Only three of you said preach. All right, let me hurry up. Y'all got lunch to go to. I know you got a second service, so we got to hurry. I got one service. Relax. So. 
you walk through these pages, God is active. He's vocal. Now, God ain't so vocal that you're the only one he talks to 24 hours a day. Oh, I wish I could help somebody. I've got folks I'm working with that every two seconds, God is giving them a brand new word. And I'm sitting there, Brother Mayo, saying, God, it's been three weeks. Maybe, maybe they're getting so much word because they're not doing enough reading. Because guess what? God gave us a whole lot of things he's already talked about. And we live in a generation that wants to say, I don't have to have a man of God to hear the word and the voice of God. Honey, that is not the will of God, and that is not the way God designed it. He uses a man to preach the word, and salvation comes through preaching. We're just talking this morning about perspectives in Genesis. See, I learned something a long time ago. I've learned not to preach outside of my giftings. <laughs> Got me in a lot of trouble. So he's moving through this. Think about the voice of God. What do you think it sounded like? The vacuum of space where sound doesn't even exist. Yet God broods over the earth, preparing. What did that first auditory boom sound like? Life! I wish I'd had a Bose 3D surround system. To hear it on every side. But when he does it, there's no argument. There's no bickering. There's no response of resistance. It just happens. Notice the moving prepared the way for the speaking. Light penetrates. Let there be and it was. 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 Everything God's doing is happening according to his promise. And all of this is just Genesis 1. When's the last time we stopped to really dive in enough? And then you get to Genesis 2. And this is where I just, all, the only reason I wanted to preach. We get this idea that man's created. Where's man created? Most people say in the garden. Not true. The Bible says that God created man out of the dust of the earth. He took man, he planted a garden and put man there. The first type of the church being realized. 
being taken out of the world and placed into an environment of increase. He puts man in the garden. And a lot of us have this idea that this is Adam's world. He's sitting under a tree. And there's lions that are fanning him. And he does nothing. He just walks through there in his birthday suit, grabs apples and oranges and bananas, and he just enjoys nothing. And so a lot of Sunday school lessons teach about Adam. But that's not the truth. If you can get Genesis 2-5 on the screen for me, I'm just going to hit this, and I'm going to talk to you for a few more minutes. Because this is important. See, I'm not so much looking for us just to have a good thought. I'm looking at something to change us. Man's in the garden. And let me just interject this because it's just really worth interjecting. Because man was created from the dust of the earth. I believe that has a lot to do with how men are. Because where was a woman created? In the garden. In a perfect world. Man's just rugged and dirty. Every woman that ever married a man had to clean his house out. You ever smelled a bachelor's home? It's terrible. But a woman's created in a place of perfection. Man is made out of the rugged rawness of the earth. Which is why a woman wants her throw pillow and her drapes. She wants everything perfect. And you get a man, man says, I need a kitchen, a bed, and a bathroom. That's it. Come on, I teach, I teach our people that marriage ought to reflect the ideal of how we're created. Men ought not to shrink back because there's dirt under their nails. Come on, women are the ones that are supposed to look at their nails and want them to look nice and pretty. But the first time I worked on a car with my dad, I kept him dirty for a week. Why? Because the intrinsic masculine nature that this world's trying to destroy from men is... Uh, Come on, that's why little boys like to jump in mud puddles and little dainty girls lift their little dresses and tiptoe over it. That's free. But stop arguing against your wife about the throw pillows. Just throw them. That's what they're called. That's what they're used for. Because you can't sleep with them, you can't sit on them. I'm going to put a basketball hoop in my house. Just throw, throw pillows through it. But that's how she was designed. She wants order. She wants perfection. That's why the bride of Christ is meant to reflect the purity and the, and the, and the order and the structure of that feminine. It's meant to be a place without, without spot, without wrinkle. It worries about what we get under our nails. 
The church is not an erudite crude. Dig your hands in the dirt. That's our carpenter God. The church is a bride. We ought to be worried about purity. We ought to be worried about what we wear. Yeah, take it a step further. Every man, you hear me, your wife's going to have arsenal against you the rest of your life. Bible says we were made. Yatsar, potter. Men were squeezed. We were shoved into force. Then it says he made woman. Banah, which means he built her. She was finally crafted. Women, don't get mad at your husbands. We're just dirt. Say, can't you get your head out of the clouds? No! Can't you focus on, no! Because I'm just a crude, dirty, come from the earth man. But when you get that thing submitted to the Spirit of God... I'm glad God didn't leave him in the dirt, but he breathed into his nostrils. Let me hurry. It's almost one. What time's that place close? Am I helping anybody? I am so hungry in the day that we live in to leave with a word and not just a feeling. I want to hang my my spirit on something. So our typical picture is Adam chilling in the garden. Wouldn't that be great? Anybody like to work? Some of y'all lied. And they like getting up at four in the morning and driving an hour to work and doing all that stuff. Most people know. You got to do it. You do it for the paycheck. Anybody live for the paycheck? I mean, some of y'all need to hurry up and get down to earth because your halos are really sparkling. But that's not the real reality of Adam in the garden. In a perfect world, without anything to really serve as a hindrance, God still intended him to work. Look at it. If every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. In a perfect world, in a perfect place, in a perfect environment, God still intended to have a cooperation with man. We're going to do this together. You see, the garden's a place to maintain. The only requirement he was given in the garden was to dress it and to keep it, which means I want you to guard it and maintain it. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful in the culture of the church today, we can get locked into the paradigm of keeping and maintaining. 
But God intends for us to extend the borders of the garden. It's in God's purpose. I'll take care of the increase in the garden. I'll let the trees grow. Just keep things out of it. Just keep maintaining it. But hey, Adam, I got to get you out of the garden. It says right there, there was not a man to till the ground. He didn't have to till the garden because the garden's a place where God operates and God meets. And God envisions tremendous increase in blessing. But God looked at his man and he said, my envision for this world is that you are given dominion. And you take dominion and you bring it to the field that's outside of the garden. And you start working and start bringing the increase out of the ground. I'm getting closer to being done than you think. I just don't know who's, your, who's thinking. You look at this. Tell me one time he ever left the garden. I, I, maybe he did. I don't see it. But there's something fundamental, Sister, Sister Mayo, that I am realizing about dominion. Is that you don't just get dominion because you just come to church. See, we got a lot of people that think just because we come and speak in tongues, we have dominion. But the problem is a lot of people come to church, but the field's never known who they are. Would anybody like to remind me who's out in the field? A serpent. And if God's intention, Brother Sergeant, was for man to till the ground, that tells me something about God's cooperation. God would water it, which means I'll make it a little bit uh, softer for you to work with, and we still got to have that. Uh, thank God for prayer before we do outreach. Uh, you know what that really is doing? Uh, we're just asking the rains uh, to go on ahead of us uh, and make the ground a little bit softer. But Adam, show me one time he leaves. I, I don't see it. In my opinion, and this is just take it or leave it, what does the serpent have to fear from Adam if he's never met Adam on his own field? What's the serpent got to fear about slipping into their world if Adam hasn't established, I conquer yours? See, we want dominion, we want authority, we want all those things that are apostolic. And we wonder why our homes sometimes spin out of control. Maybe it's because the enemy doesn't yet know who we really are. And he don't know who you really are until you get where he is. We wage war in church. When we ought to get shovels and plows and uh, you want to know where the greatest act of dominions realized when somebody invites somebody to church. All right. 
when somebody cracks open the Bible and teaches a home Bible study for the first time, you want to watch dominion in your life? It's because you got into the field and you started plowing and you started working and the devil starts to figure out you've got a name. I'm closing. See, we get this idea, and I have to be real transparent. Musicians come. I have to be real transparent. I used to get confused and think that everything was captured in just showing up to church. And I'd come to an altar and I'd pray. We'd have good church. The thing is, is when you walk out of here, have you made an impact where he has church? See, dominion's something that the charismatic world and the church culture is developing theologies on and I've got a book called Dominion Theology and it's written by a reprobate and he's trying to package real neatly this otherworldly idea and so there's some people that feel like all you've got to do to have dominion is just have good church I'm all for good church. But I'm going to tell you the most impacting thing to me as a young backslidden boy. Was parents that had a revelation not of just good church. Yeah. My parents didn't just show up. The required times. Can I tell you what had the greatest impact on me? I was a bouncer at a club. Was there was a girl there named Lori who was a tiger trainer for a magic show. She had escaped where she lived in the States and moved out there because she had gotten pregnant and had an abortion. Here I am, I'm clubbing it up. And I'd see her every day. I didn't know all that stuff. But I watched as my parents got out in the field. There's something that really happens. The dimension of authority and dominion. When you're not dissatisfied with keeping and maintaining. Well, pastor, let me just do what's required. Prayers at this time. My help's here. But I watched as every week... Here I am, I'm a backslider. 
I'm shooting up. I'm smoking dope. I'm snorting. There's a lonely, broken girl. My parents started teaching me something about the field when I wasn't even living for God. There's no feeling like coming home with your hands caked with dirt. What is that? was a drug addict's life. Man, it gets under your nails and it sometimes makes you develop calluses. You shake the hands of farmers. It's like a gnarled, strong. God spoke to me in prayer one day and said, the hands of my people are too soft. Because so many of them have never done their first dig. I knew five days ago what I was going to preach. Some of you are going through cycle after cycle trying to find victory. best thing that could ever happen in your life is to stop living fat and fed. Always pulling up to the king's table. Come on, feed me another one. Come on, I'm in a hurry. I got places to go. Every backslider I get to pray for. It's an opportunity to soil my hands. Okay, Bishop. I said, God, seriously, of all places you want me to preach this, you're going to send me to preach this here. I learned this about evangelizing, though a lot of times the churches that are blowing and going, too many people enter cruise control. And you just ride the success of generations. Adam. Maybe that devil would have thought twice about coming after your wife if he'd have known who you were a little bit more. Husbands, you really think that praying just here is going to teach him who you are? Do you really think that 30 minutes a week at church 
is going to put a fear in your serpent. So many homes are overrun. And they're not dirty with the work at the field. They're just dirty with what everybody else is trying to clean off those they get out of the field. That's the tragedy of people that live truth that want to put dust in their homes. It's really what a carnal home is, just a dusty home. Sure, you might have couches in place and not things on the floor, but still dusty. And if it's dusty, it ain't clean. So, here goes. I'm feeling the pressure of our days. I'm feeling the pressure of Portland. Good church is good. But my God, when's the last time you sat underneath the sink of God's Word and tried to scrub off your hard work and your hands that were dipping into the ground? I have prayer meetings that are literally just to pray my spirit back into peace. Because I sat across from... Somebody facing gender issues, severe perversion in their life. And I've reached across the table as they wept. And I pulled them close to me. And said, God can restore dysfunction. I've shielded my wife. I know what it is to get home and have to go take a spiritual shower. God, what I've been feeling sitting across that table is just filthiness. But he loves the filthy. We just don't have enough people willing to put their hands on them. So I could go through here today and ask by a show of hands, and I don't think I will, but I could. If you taught a Bible study in the last four months. Man, I, I wanted to have screaming and shouting and well, I'm just not that kind of preacher sometimes. The greatest honor I have in life is to come back from a long, hard day's work in the field 
a thorn that my hands are ripped open by the thorns and the thistles. Because the same sorrow that was given to childbirth was the same sorrow that he said you're going to have when you work the field. Thorns and thistles. You go ahead. I'm going to tell you right now what I feel in the Holy Ghost. And I'll go back home, but I'm going to be obedient to the Holy Ghost. I felt like God wanted to wake a few people up today. Folks, Spokane, churches like mine depend on what goes on here. There's nothing more powerful. Young people, there's nothing more amazing coming through a long, hard school week. And you're cleaning out the dirt. And you're, bra- you're dragging friends that you just decided... I don't care what they think about me. God's saying, I'm watering the field every day. I sometimes want to pull my hair out. Why did God send me to Bartlett? I've got two kids with hearing loss. It's hard. Somebody else could have had a lot less roadblocks than us. I'm being real. We have sat on the floor in our bedroom sometimes and just wept. Because the pressure. Said, God, I'm not a church planner. Says who? I'll never forget God speaking to me one day. Give me the reason why I went. Because nobody else would go. I'd be happy to be God's tenth choice. To the point next year, I'd be happy to be the 25th on the list. And I don't know how many men he tried to get to go before me. But he stopped at my door. Ah! 
Come on, I feel right now, my God, I feel like there's a spirit plowing. You ain't want a soul. You ought not to ever be satisfied. If you've never won a soul, how dare you be comfortable? Brother Haddon, you've just been a little too harsh, really? What do you think Calvary was about? What do you think the sword and the, the wounds and the nails and the beatings and the scars were for? Our coffee shops and our comforts. He just knew that we needed help with the shovel. What do you think Pentecost was all about, folks? Thank God we get the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, but He gives it to you for a witness and for power. Let's just praise Him right now. Come on, come on. Come on, let's talk to Him. Let's talk to Him. If you ain't want a soul, you ain't taught a Bible study, you... This altar ought not to just be a place today. We just pray this off. You know, I don't care where we go right now. I feel like there's about to be a cry lift up in this place. the fervor. (laughs) 
Come on, I want to get dirt in my hands.